and welcome to episode 181 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I'm James, joined again by Ryan Topp and Paul Noonan. This week, we are continuing our two-part season preview, taking a look at the offense and running through our predictions for this season. Guys, opening day kind of, I guess, snuck up on me a little bit coming up later this week, I guess, to sneak up on you. How are you feeling about it? It doesn't seem real, so it snuck up on me, too. I like I didn't kind of expect it to ever get here and uh the the fact that we've actually moved through March so quickly and it's uh it's imminent is is quite surprising I I can't believe that it's this soon um I I, I was just doing some checking in last week to see like could I actually go maybe to somebody's opening day and not not quite there yet I'm not vaccinated enough for that to happen but uh that uh that, that that was the biggest surprise. I was like, I might actually squeak this in. No, not quite, but close, but close. So, um, but good to have it back. So glad we'll, that there'll be actual baseball soon. Yeah, I'm fully vaccinated, so I'm nice. excited. I'm looking forward to complaining about not enough day games the second um, the second week, <laughs> the second day of the season, like like I usually do. Yeah, so there's a bunch of teams that are off on Friday, including the Brewers, which is a very weird day for MLB teams to be off. But remember a few years ago when they opened at San Diego and they were off the Sunday, which is also an odd day for MLB teams right. to ever be off. So that's opening the way they are now on Thursday instead of, you know, Monday has changed all that around a little bit. But yeah, no, definitely looking forward to it, though. And, and like Paul said, I think this March kind of uh, flew by as opposed to, say, last March, which never seemed to end. So <laughs> last March didn't end until like this March. Yep. Yeah, that's true. 12 month March. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> all right. We got a lot to get to, but before we get going, a reminder, you can always help support the podcast by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. Just two bucks a month gets you question priority right here on the podcast. We do have a couple Patreon questions this week. And for five bucks a month, you get all the extra content. You get the minor league extra podcast with Ryan and James Anderson. Also get some reporting as eligible Packers mini pods from Paul throughout the Packers off season. So go over to patreon.com slash MKE tailgate and check that out. Uh, so last week we did the pitching side of things here this week. We're looking more at the offense and then we'll, we'll get to kind of MLB predictions as a whole after that. But I guess Ryan, let's, let's go position by position uh, and just kind of go levels of concern at those areas of the field, kind of maybe identifying what, what are the weak spots here uh, where are the Brewers set up better than most? So I guess let's just go around the diamond. We'll start with catcher. So Ryan, I guess how, how concerned are you about the level of catcher production? You know, obviously last year, Omar Narvaez is not great. Jacob Nottingham hasn't played at all this spring. Is there any level of concern behind the plate for you right now? My level of concern at catcher is very, very low. I think that you combine the fact that we saw a huge defensive breakout from Narvaez last year. And combine that with what has been very good, productive spring trainings from both, where they're putting up very solid overall numbers. Both Narvaez and Pena are doing that. And we also have some depth behind them in Luke Maley. And if they can get him to stick around, uh, Jacob Nottingham, that's going to be tricky because he doesn't have an option. So yeah. trying to stash him is going to be difficult. But even, even so, I think that they have depth that they like there and they're pretty well set up and I'm just not all that concerned overall with with what the catcher position is especially in this day and age where 
it is much more of a defensive position than it is an offensive position. And they have two good defenders, if, as long as Narvaez's massive improvements from last year hold. So very low, I guess. Are we doing a, a one to ten here? Sure. Three, yeah, I guess. Three in my level of concern. Three. I think they have depth, and I think okay. they're overall pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of agree with that. Uh, Three-ish is good. Um, uh, the thing is, like, even if the off- even if Omar doesn't come back and break out offensively like we were all hoping he would, they have such a solid floor for the defense that they're going to get between probably Omar and Pena at this point. Is My, my guess is Pena's going to make it because he's been really good. Um, that it kind of doesn't matter. Um, any offense they get from either is gravy, and... Omar's been hitting the ball much better in spring training. All kinds of grains of salt with spring training. It happens a lot. But it looks like he may have made some adjustments that actually work. So there's upside there, too. And as long as you have that base of, of really, really, really good defense, um, it, it doesn't really matter that much what you get from your catcher. So um, there's a chance that this is this ends up being one of the most valuable positions on the team. And even if the hitting isn't there, they'll be good enough defensively that they're still in great shape compared to most of the rest of the league. So I'd say like a three, maybe even a two. Wow. Who would have thought like this point last year, we would be talking about Omar Narvaez. Hey, even if he doesn't hit great defensive <laughs> catch. <laughs> that is weird. Charlie green is a witch. Yep. Charlie green is a witch. I, I'm kind of interested to see how, how legit that is. Obviously, you know, he, he was really high up there in the framing rankings and everything last year, but part of me still wants to feel great of salty <laughs> about that with the, the shortened season and everything too. But I mean, yeah, I guess it's kind of an open question as to whether there are small sample sizes of good framing. Uh, it, it sort of intuitively seems like you wouldn't have that. Like you wouldn't look into being a good framer for an ex- <laughs> even a short amount of time, but I suppose it's possible. Uh, like maybe over the long haul, it sort of grinds on you and the attention it requires that you pay starts to kind of, um, you know, wear down on your brain a little bit. I can see that happening. Um, like like trying to count cards in Vegas and everybody thinks they can do it. And then five minutes into it, they're like, oh my God, this is impossible. My brain hurts so much. Like I can see that kind of effect happening to a catcher over 162 games. So maybe, but I, I don't think so. I think if you're bad at it, you're just kind of always bad at it. Right. And it's it's one of those things too, right? There's a new metric for it, but your, your eye test can kind of tell, okay, yeah, he's pretty legit. And I think what we saw last year, it was, is pretty legit. And you know, with Narvaez too, a lot of the defensive things were passed balls and wild pitches, and we didn't really see that much last year either. So, um, yeah, it pretty solid behind the plate. But I guess let's shift to first base because I feel like this is one of the idea or areas that we kind of identified all off season. Like, hey, maybe the Brewers need to do something here. So, you know, obviously Keston Hira moving there for a bulk of the time to start this year. Uh, you know, he, he might have the bat there, but is the defense still questionable and i guess what's plan 1b for first base if you uh if if that doesn't work out so i guess ryan (laughs) what are your thoughts on first base well there is a level of concern here and i think it's it's kind of big because there's both offensive and defensive questions here we need to see keston hira come back from what was a very down offensive year last year to be able to carry the the offensive load at first base the way that you expect. And then we just defensively between Hira learning the position new and potentially big Dan being on the team, not being really a first baseman, but that's where he would have to play. 
you kind of have questions on both aspects of that. So there's a chance that Keston Hira just breaks out huge in a big way offensively, is just fine defensively, and this doesn't come to fruition and you're not really concerned about it at all. But I think that considering the high offensive bar at first base, I'd say my level of concern here is like a six or seven. It's probably the biggest of any position on the team, honestly. I mean, six or seven, mine's a nine. Um, it's <laughs> it's very concerning. So um, uh, first of all, I, I know it's ingrained in sort of everybody's head that first base is sort of the easiest position to fill. You can always find some big lunk to stand out there. And uh, that's kind of what you have in Vogelbach. But it's worth noting, a lot of teams get lots of really good production from first base. So it's not like the bar here isn't isn't nothing. It, you can really fall at a disadvantage at the position if you don't have a good first baseman. And there's a pretty good chance they don't have a good first baseman here. Um, like Keston Hira struck out so much last year that there's, I, like, if he repeats that, his bat wasn't necessarily going to carry him at second base, let alone first base. And hopefully he improves, but he might not. Um, Dan Vogelbach, historically, is bad. Um, he had a nice run last year in his small sample size. We know that kind of small sample size can happen. He might not make the team. He's a butcher on defense, and he might not hit. Uh, I mean, we hope he hit. We saw him hit a bit last year, um, but he might not hit. And then if Travis Shaw is to come over and play, there's no guarantee that bat still works either. So they might have nothing. And it's easy to find first basemen, but these are the first basemen they currently have. So um, in, unless they add somebody else to actually stick there, um, this is this is potentially a pretty big problem and a pretty big black hole. Um, you know, I don't know if it's going to be a uni um, Alex Gonzalez black hole, but it's going to no. could could be a potentially pretty bad black hole. Yeah, I mean the the concern here, if you look at Hira in spring training, and we're going to be talking about this a lot, so get used to this. Uh, one thing that you can sort of glean from spring training statistics generally is strikeout to walk ratios. Yeah, and Kestens is bad. He has 15 strikeouts and 45 plate appearances and only three walks. There's no really good way to spin that to make that good. That's bad. That's that is concerning. <laughs> so yeah, you're you're probably right. My my six seven is probably a little bit low. I was giving it a little bit, I think, lower because they at least have options there. There's different ways they can go. At, yes, true. at least early on. And then, like you said, it isn't terribly hard to get first base. Like to trade for a first baseman at the deadline or even before uh, is not super hard. So. But it, it is it is concerning, and I think it is their biggest question mark. If you want to argue there's sort of a floor on how worried you can possibly be at first base because you have sort of uh, the world is your oyster way of picking through waiver fodder and whatnot to, to replace it, that's fine. But th what they have now, not great. Um, potentially not great anyway. Yeah. The world is your waiver fodder. I like that. Um, yeah, I guess I, I still believe in here a as kind of an offensive player, the strikeouts are very concerning. He's definitely going to be like a strikeout or hard contact guy. And, and we've seen that this spring even too, you know, you guys mentioned the 15 strikeouts and the what 45 plate appearances. But outside of that, when he's making contact, it's going well, at least in this small sample size. I mean, as of today, his, his spring OPS is like 976, which, Hey, that'll play. But again, like you said, the, there's no walks there and he's still cutting through a lot. So, mm -hmm. and we're still at this area too, right. With Keston where it's kind of hard to expect uh, 
what's going to happen because he he had the really good first year and then he kind of struggled last year and we're kind of at the crossroads where okay which was the uh fool's gold really you know so i guess we'll find out and and I know, you know, Paul, in the past, you've said maybe he gets better offensively because he's not worried about being a butcher at second base anymore. But now he's worried about not being a butcher at first base. Right. (laughs) There's he's got to learn it. And I know um, I I know first base is not easy. I still think it's kind of easier than people make it out to be. But uh, it's 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 still stuff to learn there. You still got to have be in the right place, never feet in the right place. And um, he is short for a first baseman. So. It's not going to be the easiest transition. I've heard it's incredibly difficult to play first base. It's yeah. not. I, yeah. <laughs> everybody says everything's incredibly difficult when they're actually in the game. Some things are not. But <laughs> it, here's here's the thing. Like, uh, if you've played Little League or any level of baseball, y- you've probably played a few positions. And if you've played first base, you know intuitively, you know by playing it, even at a, at a bad level, it's much easier than a lot of the other positions. <laughs> it just is. It, it's moving your feet correctly and playing catch for the most part. And yeah, if, if you get some awesome guys who make diving stabs and things like that, and there's some nuance to it, but it's not like shortstop where you're, you you got to split second react either direction or have a giant arm in the outfield or be able to make that throw from foul territory in third base. It, it doesn't have any of that. So it's easier. It just is. Yeah. And it's also with his particular problem, which was really all centered on the throwing aspect yes, of things throwing for him, that you have to do a lot less of that at first base, though you do have to do some. And we did see him make a throwing error at first base already this spring. So there's that, too. I mean, you have to do it a little <laughs> bit, at least. It's not as important, but it does matter. Right. All right. So let's move on then to Keston's old position, second base. Obviously, Colton Wong, probably the biggest addition <laughs> of the offseason. And. I don't know if we can really overstate the level of improvement here, right, Paul? Like going from no. Keston Hira to uh, Colton Wong. So I guess level of concern for second base, is this probably your your lowest threshold of concern here? That is correct. It is a zero or a one or whatever the lowest number that we're allowed to give it is. So <laughs> at this point, if it's going to be a bad position, you are predicting things like catastrophic injury, and that can happen to anybody. So anytime you're predicting that, it doesn't matter. Um, Colton Wong's an awesome second baseman. It was a great acquisition. He is fantastic defensively. He's a huge upgrade. His bat's even pretty good. And even if some weird thing happens there, they have good depth at second base too. They can always play Urias there or Robertson there. They have tons of guys who can play second base. So um, they they have an elite starter. They have awesome depth behind it. I don't know that there's too much more to say about it. Um, it's probably the strongest position that's not Yelich on the team. So that that's my feeling on second base. Yep. Great defense, depth, all of that. And I do think Wong is going to be a pretty good offensive player for them. This spring, four strikeouts in 32 plate appearances with three walks. That's pretty solid. Like it's not Dang. as quite as many walks as you'd like to see, but when yep. you're not striking out, you're that is pretty impressive. So yep, he's a good contact guy. He's even knocked three balls over the fence in spring training, which you don't always get from Wong. So yeah, eight eight hits and five of them are for extra bases because he also has two yeah. doubles in there. So that's all pretty solid. Mm-hmm. Lefty bat plays well at Miller Park too. Exactly, right? <laughs> play the rants. <laughs> and, and like historically, he's always hit well at. at uh, I shouldn't even. Uh, I said Miller Park, didn't I? American Put a quarter Family in the jar. Field. Yeah quarter in the curse jar uh but historically he's always hit well there too and you know take that for what it's worth in what 70 ish plate appearances i'm just spitballing but 
you know, obviously he, he he's got the profile that'll play well at the mm-hmm. home park too. So I think, yeah, mm-hmm. there's a chance offensively he really breaks out because we've talked about too Bush stadium, one of the worst hitters or parks in the league yep. going now to Milwaukee. There's a chance that we could see a real big breakout from Colton long. And yeah, I figured this is probably one of the strongest areas on the team as well. Um, uh, I guess then shifting to an area that's also pretty weak, another big area of concern, third base. Uh, it, it's still, I guess, not entirely clear who's going to play here, right? Like we've we've got our six or seven plates of spaghetti ready to throw against the wall and and seeing what sticks, right? So I guess, Paul, level of concern for third base, is this another nine for you? Not nine. This one's trickier because there are other options where I think the defense can play unlike first base where you've got sort of a combination of bad hitters and bad defenders here. You've got some options to, to sort of scheme for production. So not a nine, but it's not a great position. I'd say like a six ish seven here. Um, And I think it'll, I I do think Shaw will get a lot of time here. And, you know, already said, not sure about the bat, even at third base. Um, Urias may see some time over there. Um, The bat doesn't really carry him at third base necessarily, maybe not even shortstop. Um, but in, as a defensive option, he's pretty good. Um, Robertson could probably play over there. Arcia, I think it, that experiment's not going to work. But uh, <laughs> you, you have a lot. You have a lot of spaghetti. A lot, of, and you can, I think, generate at least good defense over there between Shaw and Urias if you need to. Um, it's just a matter of a bat coming around, and I'm not sure they're going to get that. So um, uh, there's concern here, but there are, I think, better options than at first base. Um, than at third base just because they have at least some short stops they can throw over there that that works for half the game if nothing else yeah i think the defensive floor here is very very solid travis shaw is a good defender and anybody else you're going to put over there is also a good infielder whether or not they're a great third baseman (laughs) rc was still learning the position during spring training and he's been troublesome a 14 to 1 strikeout to walk ratio in spring training not ideal very orlando very orlando uh yeah but on the other hand travis shaw has actually been kind of sneaky good in ways that the if you're just paying attention to things like the 171 batting average in 43 (laughs) plate appearances you're probably gonna think oh he, he really hasn't been that good but when you then consider that he has only seven strikeouts in those 43 plate appearances and seven walks yep a new picture sort of starts to emerge and i think that there's still obviously there is power there. He has only six hits, but four of them have gone for extra bases. He's still making hard contact, which even when he was at his worst with uh, the Brewers in 2019, the, the hard contact didn't completely abandon him. What it was is he was striking out too much. And I think if you look at this and you'd have to get on a much more granular level and see a larger sample, there's a good chance that what we're looking at here is a Babbitt problem where he just, has been getting unlucky with balls in play and just needs to, if he can maintain that, that discipline, the plate discipline and not be striking out as much as he was, that a lot of this will just correct itself because he is still walking and he is still hitting for some power. So I'm optimistic about that. So my level of concern here is more like a, maybe a four or a five. It's, it's one of the more troublesome positions on the team. But again, because it's David Stearns, they do such a good job building up depth that there's a lot of different ways this can go if Travis Shaw doesn't work out and if they need to go in a completely different direction. 
Right. You know, we've, we've talked about Robertson a lot. He's probably an option there too. Like you guys said, there's, there's a lot of good defensive options here. And I think as we look at the Brewers kind of really focusing on the pitching and defense this year, uh, something that we've really talked about, I, I think it, sort of feels like third base is one of those positions where they're more than happy to take the defense over the offense. Right. Uh, and, and they've provided themselves with a lot of good defensive options there. So obviously probably not going to be one of the stronger bats in the lineup, but like you guys said, there there's at least options here. Um, worst comes to worst. I don't know. Is, is Jed Jerko still a free agent? Maybe David Stern signs him this week. <laughs> I believe he is. I believe he is. <laughs> so there's always that. Um, uh, so you know there there's always options elsewhere too so i would say it's definitely kind of one of the weaker positions in the field here at least when you look offensively but i mean we've been saying that for what four or five months now (laughs) and this is the group that we've got the weekend before opening day so uh definitely probably an area they could improve on and probably will throughout the season too because it's important to remember right like the group we're talking about here half of them probably won't be here in july so uh a lot of different options there uh i guess because we're talking so much about you know urias and arcia that third base and a shortstop maybe we could just kind of lump those all into the same position level here uh you know obviously ryan you mentioned arcia's struggling in more than one way this spring the intent seems to be uh the brewers really want to make urias happen at shortstop so i guess paul your level of concern for shortstop and who do you see getting the bulk of the time here um this is a weird one just because um i i I think rc is such a weird player having to having him as your sort of starting let's get to your your in a second Having RC as your fallback kind of starter there, I I just kind of hate watching him. <laughs> I mean, he's fun. He hits home runs when it doesn't matter, and he makes crazy throws and stuff. But um, I, I'm kind of sick of seeing Orlando RC play shortstop. But he's not terrible. He's he's okay. So it, my level of concern here is like a five, maybe a four. Uh, let's go four because I think Urias looks good. Um, I'm I'm this is by the way this is definitely the overreacting to spring training um, podcast version so far mm-hmm. um and so i think curious will end up getting the bulk of the time there um i think he looks like an improved player so far in spring training i think he's had a lot of good at bats uh, i think he's he made very good solid hard contact on um on most occasions um strikeouts are like a little high for for my taste but not they're not like worrying like they are with keston um and i think he can hold it down defensively over there and besides that rc is not that good defensively anyway so um, I think that there is a sort of slightly lower floor than some of the other positions, because if you do just have like if Urias doesn't work or gets hurt or something like that, RC is not a great floor to have. Um, but there's there's some ceiling here with Urias. And uh, I think that they actually have a decent chance of hitting it. So I, I, at least it'll be fun to watch that happen. And I think that, that they may have something here. So I'll go I'll, I'll go like a, I've, I've gone back and forth. Let's just say a five. I can't decide. It's RC's fault. He scrambles my brains. <laughs> I think that's exactly right. This is a, for David Stearns, it's kind of a low floor but high ceiling thing, and that's generally not the direction he goes. He likes to have more floor and maybe worries less about the ceiling oftentimes. So this is interesting, and I do think it's it's Urias basically every day. He has played 
uh, in 13 games and uh, in all of the games that they have a record of where he was at in the field, they were all at shortstop. He's yep. played nowhere else from what I can tell. Whereas Arcia has nine games at shortstop and nine games at third base. So they're clearly hedging around that. But <laughs> I think Urias is the guy. And I do think we have to remember, and I've brought this up a few times. I was looking back through old scouting reports yesterday afternoon, prepping for this actually. And in 2018, MLB Pipeline put a 70 on Urias's hit. And I know Eric Longenhagen was talking about that a few years ago. There was a time when people talked about Urias and debated whether or not he was an 80 hitter. And you have to understand that that is such high praise and nobody gets grades in the 70s and 80s. They just don't like that. That isn't something that scouts hand out to basically anybody. You have to be really doing something very well to do that. And we haven't seen it from him in Milwaukee. And it hasn't been seen really in the major leagues, but there's also been plenty of reasons for that between adjusting to the big leagues. And we know he tried to make a swing change to unlock some more power and then kind of went away from that a little bit. There's some there's some reasons here where you can sort of explain and understand why things didn't necessarily work great for him so far. Yep. But it looks like there's massive potential. There's a reason David Stearns gave up Trent Grisham and Zach Davies to get him and Lauer. Right. Like David Stearns is not an idiot. He didn't just do that for no reason. They they had good reasons <laughs> behind it. So whether or not it works, we don't know. But I think there's a lot more to Urias than a lot of Brewers fans realize at this point. And he is. This will be his age 24 season. Yeah. He's also been hurt a lot um, on the team in, in ways. Yeah. Well, that's a, that goes two ways, though. Um, he's been hurt a lot, and that you know keeps him off the field. He's also been hurt in ways that sap your hitting. And if he actually gets himself back to normal, I think you might see those tools pop up again and surprise everybody. Yeah, I mean, clearly, like Ryan says, the the organization saw something that they really liked and jumped at the chance to acquire him, right? And I. Uh, you know the the scouts are are have a history, I should say, of, of being optimistic about him. But for me, I guess the question is like the dude's still like five nine one seventy and hasn't been able to stay on the field. Like that is a little concerning to me. Um, and but like Paul said, like the, the injuries have been just really unfortunate with the the hitting aspect specifically. You know, like last year he broke his wrist with the Brewers. Uh, then he got COVID and everything you know like understandable if your power is sapped after yep. dealing with that right especially knowing what we know now about some of those lingering effects that are possible uh, so it's just really hard to see what he could be for the brewers so there's definitely a lot of uncertainty i think ryan's right where the there's very low floor but very high ceiling on this it's a bit of a, a dice roll I, I guess I wouldn't look too much into him getting the bulk of the time at shortstop this spring either, because it's a scenario where they're obviously, they just want to make sure he can do it right. They know what they have in RCS. So you may as well just try Urias at shortstop as much as you can. So I wouldn't look too much into the playing time, but you know, if this is like a 50, 50 split, I could probably see that. It, it's definitely, again, one of the bigger question marks on, on the team, I guess though, Let's shift to an area that doesn't have many question marks, and that's probably the outfield. Uh, <laughs> like we've talked about, we we, we kind of know who is set here, although there are some 
you know, minor nagging injuries heading into the, into the season, you know, it's still a question mark, I guess, if Jackie Bradley Jr. is going to be good to go for opening day, he's dealing with some soreness. Lorenzo Cain's had, you know, old man leg issues this spring. So he's still kind of ramping up, but you know, we, we talked, that's why depth is a good thing. Right. So, uh, let's just go, I guess outfield as a whole, it doesn't make sense to really break down left field center and right. Cause we know who's going to be playing where. So I guess Paul uh, level of concern for the outfield as a whole right now, as a whole, like one, my only, uh, maybe two, my only big concern there is, is all bound up in Yelich getting himself back to normal. And he's looked really good. And I mean, his numbers are off the charts. Yelich in spring training so far, which is fine. Um, if you do look on on baseball reference, his uh, quality of opponent faced is not great. So I, they've been, I think, treating him with kid gloves a little bit to get him right, which is totally a fine thing to do. But it does throw some uncertainty into the, the question more than you normally would see. But uh, honestly, they're they're in good shape in the outfield. Um, they have quality backups at every position. They have a lot of guys who can move around. Um, if Kane gets hurt because he's an old man. Jackie Bradley Jr. will be fine once he's healthy uh, and vice versa. They have a true right fielder in Avi Garcia with an absolute gun um, to make the throw over to third when necessary. Um, It's hard to say. They really don't have, there's not really a deeper outfield in the league than the Brewers have, honestly. They're just stacked across the board. So, uh, like, no concern at all. Um, It would take, you know, a bus falling on people. They're, They're in good shape. Even their like deep backups are good. It, it, like even if you go down a little bit, it's where the good prospects are. It's where they have some interesting um, like guys they brought in. Garrett Mitchell plays there. It's it's a fun group all all around. <laughs> yeah, I mean the defensive floor and ceiling in the outfield is astronomically high. I would really have a hard time imagining a team being better defensively in the outfield outside of I don't know the Dodgers maybe. I don't even yeah. know exactly who would be like great defensively across the board, but they're very, very good. So I'm not really concerned about that at all. And when you look at, I think Yelich, I think we're looking at him probably being back to, I don't know, necessarily MVP levels, but very, very good levels. I think that what we saw last year is going to turn out to be an aberration. So that's good. It is nice to see that Kane has in limited amount of playing time because of the injuries and all that. It is nice to see the four walks and only four strikeouts. That's, you know, a solid, obviously, number there. And so that's positive. I don't know. Avi Garcia is a bit concerning at a 15 to one strikeout to walk ratio. <laughs> That's not ideal. But then again, he is also probably their fourth outfielder at this point. Yep. So you don't necessarily need him to be fantastic. Yeah. I wanted to ask about Avi. Cause you know, we we've kind of touched on the subject a couple of times, but now that we're doing the full preview here, I guess, how do you guys see the playing time breaking down? I guess specifically in right field, because the question is probably between Jackie and Avi, right? So I guess, Paul, how how do you see this working out? Is, is Avi sort of like the fourth outfielder de facto? I think right he now? kind of is, uh, but I, I think that they will, it'll be like close between him and Jackie Bradley, um, assuming Kane stays mostly healthy. Um, and I do think they'll play platoons a lot and situational baseball a lot. Um, if there's, if there's need for the arm or a smaller outfield and you need a little more power, they'll go to Avi. And if, 
it's a, one of those giant outfields that they play in once in a while on the West Coast or in Bush. They'll probably go with Jackie a little bit more. But, you know, they're good at this stuff and mix and match a lot. And all all four of them will probably see a, a, a large amount of playing time with Yelich leading the way. And I think that Garcia has actually been working on elevating the ball in spring right. training. And that is partially responsible for the absurd number of strikeouts that he does have. <laughs> so, um, I, so I, I actually don't think... I'm not holding that against him too much at the moment. I think I know it's an excuse for a lot of guys. Oh, he's working on something, and that's why they're struggling. I think with him that that is legitimately what is going on there, and I think it actually has paid some dividends on contact. So, um, I mean, if it causes him to strike out a third of the time, that's no good, regardless of the contact. But uh, I, I think that there's some some method to what's going on there. I would hope so, because it's yeah, it's not. <laughs> the prettiest thing in the world. And it it's being obscured in his case by a 295 batting average. Right. His he, he's Babbitt lucky unlike some of the other guys. Right. right. Yeah, it, he's sort of the mirror image of of Travis Shaw in this case. Right. And you know, I admittedly haven't watched a ton of spring games because who really cares, honestly. But uh it, you know, I, I I have had a curious eye towards Shaw and towards Avi you know, especially considering what we've been talking about with the the need to get the ball off the ground. And I think Paul's right that that's probably the point of emphasis here. Uh, you know, he he's not in spring to to take good at bats and get his walks in. Right? <laughs> he's he's trying to lift the ball against live pitching. I think it, it yeah. is kind of the strategy here. Right. Yeah. And, Ryan, Ryan is right, though. He has nine singles, which is way more singles than Avi Garcia should have compared to his plate yeah. appearances. And I was going to say, too, just the handful of games I've seen, Avi is definitely uh, Babbitt lucky between, you know, I can think of at least two or three singles that were kind of just cue ball shots that snuck through or kind of bloop <laughs> dink and dunk hits. Right. So uh, obviously large grains of salt when you're talking about that. But I I think I'm with you guys like outside of maybe second base outfield is probably the area where I'm least worried just because they've got so many quality. They have four legitimate major league players to cycle through. And that's before you get to some of the depth pieces that you could call up throughout the year to, to kind of fill in if, if, and when there's injuries, because we know Lorenzo Kane's going to get hurt. It's kind of the way it's been for him. So, <laughs> uh, but I mean, that's why Jackie Bradley was such a, a smart signing to yep. kind of lift the floor there too. And I think, you know, we're, we're talking about a really high floor and possibly really high ceiling with this group. So uh, definitely probably one of the biggest areas of strength for the team. Um, I mentioned at the top of the show, we do have some Patreon questions. So uh, let's kind of get to those now, just dealing with the hitting. And, and a lot of our questions are kind of dealing with, I guess, the bench, which we haven't really touched on. And maybe we could talk about the bench as a position group as a whole, too. Uh, but our first Patreon question comes from Adam Post. He's saying, how will the crew make room on the roster to keep our beloved Big Dan around? We kind of <laughs> touched on this one. Uh, there's another related question, so I'll throw it in here. Jay Google, our, our good friend, is asking, it looks like the last bench spot is going to come down to Big Dan and Billy McKinney. Who do you have? So I guess let's take that conversation piece as a whole, I guess. Is there a way to keep Vogelbach on the roster given the the restraints and you know, both positionally and roster wise, or do you think Billy McKinney's Ryan shown enough this spring to kind of take that spot from him as like the reserve first baseman slash outfielder in McKinney's case? Yeah, I think it's going to have to be McKinney or a pitcher. I don't think big Dan makes it either way at this point. I think they will hope that they can 
get him to agree to go down to the minors and keep him there and say, hey, look, there's potentially real opportunity for you here. The one thing that could obviously throw this into complete chaos is if MLB does an MLB from last year and decides at the last <laughs> second to change the rules on everybody, in which case then Big Dan, of course, makes it. But yes, uh, I, I don't foresee that happening at this point. So, yeah, I, I think that it is it's either McKinney or going with an even bigger pitching staff because they're yep. going to need it. They're going to need yeah. to run through a lot of pitchers, especially early with guys pitching less. Yesterday, Brandon Woodruff, I believe, threw uh, in the 70s for pitches. They're not going to be pushing guys very far to open this season. They're going yeah. to rely a lot on the bullpen. And so that requires a lot of arms in the bullpen to soak up those innings. It just does. And they have guys who are good to do that. So there's... There is something to be said, too, for playing to your strengths and to get guys who are very good at what they do on the roster, as opposed to trying to just take a guy because, well, we need to fit this position, especially when you're talking about, like, in this case, a fifth outfielder or a backup first baseman only. I mean, those only have so much <laughs> use to the, the roster, whereas we know that they one, really need the pitching, and two, are really good at utilizing it, and they have skill there. Yeah, the only thing they have going, the only thing Dan has going for him is that their first base options aren't great. Uh, but other than that, everything else is against him. Um, that is a, the, the, if they're going to get through this season the way that they would like to move through a season, they need versatility from basically everybody because they need to cover multiple positions with fewer people, and Dan just doesn't do that. He's, in fact, the kind of player that gets squeezed out by that philosophy. And uh, we all love him. He's a big, fun dude who hits for power. But <laughs> if you take a step back and look at Dan Vogelbach and project him honestly, um, he's just not very good. That, that's the other problem. Yeah, he was fun last year. He was like the offensive MVP of the team last year. That's, that's a small sample size and a weird season, and nobody cares about those statistics going forward. For the most part, Vogelbach's been a below-average replacement hitter in addition to being a bad fielder. And if you're going forward and projecting forward, it's a tough case to make when you need another guy in the bullpen or even against it. Like Phil McKinney, also, we shouldn't discount the, the possibility that he's just better anyway. Um, right. He's 25 and he's he has a good pedigree and he has not put it together, but he's the kind of guy that you maybe project, uh, not project, like if you get some different coaching around him, might turn into something. Whereas, we know what Vogelbach is. Um, what, you, what you see is what you get with Big Dan. He's not going to get better than he is right now. So um, it, it, I agree with Ryan completely. It's just a tough spot for Vogelbach to be in, and it's hard to see him fitting because they just need to be able to move people around to to accommodate pitching, and he doesn't lend himself to that. Considering the strikeout-to-walk ratio thing has been my deal this whole time, I should, and I feel obligated to point out, that Big Dan has actually walked seven times and only struck out five in 40 plate appearances this spring. So there's something positive to look at there. I just don't know if you can uh, get enough from him at the plate to justify the roster spot, given where else they have need. Right, right. And like tra and Travis Shaw, like there's a good chance Travis Shaw just suck hitting. That That's totally possible. But to to be more valuable than him at first base... Dan Vogelbach's got to out-hit him by a ton because Shaw's so much better defensively over there than he is. Uh, and that's a hard case to make 
projection wise for him. It just is. It, it it's not as flashy to say that Shaw like you don't like having Shaw not hit and play good defense over there. It's not as fun, but it's likely true. So uh, I mean, how do you make that case to keep Dan on then? Right, and you know I've I've kind of tongue in cheek been one of Big Dan's biggest fans here since he got here right last year, uh, but. I mean, there's a reason why he and players of his ilk tend to bounce around from team to team. And it's because of that lack of versatility, right? I mean, that's the reason why Toronto let him go and the Brewers got him in the first place is he was a roster space casualty, basically, after a week with the Blue Jays. Uh, You know, they made a trade, brought in pitching, and they needed the roster spot. And that's how he ended up with the Brewers. Uh, You know, as much as I love Big Dan and he's just like the prototypical, you know, Milwaukee's favorite son kind of looking dude. Right. Uh, I mean, there's guys like him everywhere. I mean, hell, like Billy McKinney is basically his bat with outfield ability, corner outfield ability. So uh, I, I as much as I would love to see him make the opening day roster. Yeah. Short of the league on Tuesday saying, guess what? There's a DH. I, I don't like his chances. Uh, and, and I'm sure like he, he could find a job somewhere else too. I think convincing him to go down to the minors is, is kind of iffy at this point. Cause I mean, obviously we saw three teams picked him up last year. There's still enough interest in, in that situation. And, you know, you've got teams where injuries might pop up at first base or DH and they need a bat to start the year. I, I don't think he's getting through waivers or anything like that. Unfortunately, because I would love to see big Dan stick around, but you know, that's kind of the reality of the situation, like you guys are saying. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Next next uh, Patreon question, uh, again, comes from Jay. He's asking, with the addition of Wong and Bradley, just how deep is this lineup? Also, how important is it to have guys like Wong and Kane at the top of the lineup? So a couple different topics here, I guess, lineup order and just overall depth <laughs> of the lineup, right? Um you, you know, we, we went through a really bad offensive baseball last year where everybody yeah. seemed like a black hole in the lineup. So I guess, Paul, does that, those additions, how much of that, or how much do you think that kind of cuts down on the number of true black holes in the batting lineup? Quite a bit. Um, Wong really does give them more just ways to play on the infield and is a really nice table setter at the top, whether you lead him off or hit him just near the top. Um, they really have lacked in, in on-base guys as of late, um, uh, other than, you know, Yelly and guys who hit for power. But it's nice to actually have somebody who is a, has reliable on-base skills. They, I feel like it's one thing that the Cardinals often have that we don't, not, not right now, but often in the past. Um, and he makes the situations at... Uh, first base and third base and shortstop too, just way easier to deal with by mixing and matching and playing platoons and defenses and things like that. Um, Having at least one solid guy there makes every other position better. So that's good. And Bradley kind of the same way um, just gives you a a platoon option in the outfield and really just the insurance for Kane too. We saw what happened last year when Kane opted out, like uh, Avi to his credits did a nice job playing center field and doing what you need to do out there. But I, I think it was hard on him and it's not ideal for sure. So um, having that, having him there to, to add depth and to spell Kane when he has to go out also makes life way easier on the other two outfielders as well. So that's huge. Um, he's not the same offensive profile that Wong is, but you know, um, I think he'll play well at home, um, especially against um, opposite side pitching, and he'll be, he'll be good too. It, and it makes, their, it makes it more palatable to do what they're doing at first and third with mixing and matching 
and um, trying to generate offense through things like platoons. So that that is all quite huge. And Wong, you can't really say enough about. I, I just keep going back to the Cardinals um, acquiring Nolan Arenado um, at the same time, not bringing back Wong on what would have apparently been a pretty reasonable contract. And it, it's just hard to see how they got better out of that out of those two transactions. I, I really think that they treaded water, if nothing else. Yeah, I think that that's reasonable to say. And I think a lot of people don't view it that way because uh, Nolan Arenado is so much more famous than Colton Wong. Yeah. But that probably is closer to the truth than I think a lot of Cardinals fans would like to admit. And to the credit of Pakoda and, and the other projection systems, they're seeing more of it than they're, they're seeing that. So yeah. I think to take the second part of this, having Wong and Kane at the top of the lineup in front of Yelich is potentially a complete game changer to this lineup in mm-hmm. that you want guys who are tough outs at the top of the lineup. And it seems like we know Kane has been that for most of his career. We did see him stumble somewhat in that aspect in 2019, but that was probably due to a lot of lingering injury issues that he hopefully has had, you know, with having a lot of time off last year, hopefully that's just like a body reset and we can get these last two contract years out of Lorenzo Cain uh, at a higher level than we would have had he not had, you know, by and large, just a lot of time to let his body rest up and heal in 2020. So hopefully there's a positive aspect to that. But Cain yeah. and Wong are potentially very tough outs at the top of the lineup and guys who can you know, obviously get on base and move a little bit like they're not slow players. So you like to have that in front of your big bat in Christian Yelich and also uh, Keston Hero, who we assume is going to be hitting fourth, at least to to open the season, pending whatever, you know, happens (laughs) with his offensive game. So you like to have guys like that at the top of the lineup and just to sort of give the rest of the lineup like a it can be very useful. I remember the example people talk about is if you go back to Johnny Damon being a guy that just made pitchers work and made them yeah. kind of grind through at bats and having that at the top of the lineup, even though he wasn't like Johnny Damon was not a huge walker. He, he walked fine, but he wasn't like a big, huge on base guy, but he just ground down pitchers and yeah, had really long at bats. And that is helpful for the rest of the lineup to start to feel comfortable like, oh, okay, we can we can get at this pitcher. There's he's not going to be out there just absolutely blowing us away. So there's there's a lot of value in that aspect as well. So I'm I'm intrigued to see what it looks like with those guys. And I do assume do you guys assume we're probably looking at Wong leading off most days and Kane hitting second? Yeah, that's that's how I see it. I think that's right. Just for the lefty righty thing, I think yep. probably too, right? Yeah, but that's that's a really good point, Ryan. Too that you know between Wong and Kane, I mean, there's you're starting a game and making a pitcher throw ten or fifteen pitches before he even gets to Christian Yelich. Like that's probably a benefit, at, at least just kind of making a guy early, you know, so he doesn't settle into the quick one, two, three first inning and suddenly settles into a groove. You know, we saw that so many times last year. That I think, yeah, oh. just being able to grind out at bats, it just has, you know, maybe it, it's hard to like quantify that, but just 
logistically, it just seems like a, a better way to start the day than than we have in the past. So yeah, let's keep uh, an eye on the pitches per plate appearance for yeah. those guys at the top of the lineup and see how that looks. If they're you know all well above average, that bodes well for this offense in general. Right, especially mm-hmm. you know considering what we've been talking about with you know every team dealing with these pitching. Uh, you know, limits and everything throughout the year. It, it's definitely going to be making pitchers work, I think is probably going to be a priority. And that's why, you know, adding guys like Wong and Jackie Bradley Jr., who's who's a solid, you know, at-bat guy too. Uh, I think that really helps. All right, we have a couple more questions to get to. These come from our Twitter account at MKE Tailgate. We put out that call for questions every single week. So even if you're not a patron, just reply to that tweet. You can get your questions in that way too. You can also follow all of us. Ryan is at RD Top. Paul is at Badger Noonan. I'm at James L. Uh, I guess our first qu- Twitter question comes from Tuco. He says he was at the game the other day for Hedbert Perez's diving catch. Really made all the highlight reels. He says it was really nice, but uh, he was more impressed with the bat. Showed poise and handled a pitch with two strikes and flew out hard to right field. What's his upside? So we're, we're all giant Hedbert fans here. I guess, Ryan, do you want to handle this? I guess, you know, he's flashing this at 17 years old. So I guess for those who are less inclined in the prospect world, what's the true upside here? It's really, really high. It's I I hesitate to actually get too hyperbolic about this because I don't want to jinx it. (laughs) And it it feels very Homer-ish, but there's a lot of agreement. There's a lot of excitement from the prospecting community all over the place about what Hedbert's upside looks like from people outside the Brewers organization, from people that are, you know, neutral third-party observers. It's it's a little bit speculative at this point because we still haven't seen it in pro games. But people that have watched him in the summer camp last year, people that saw him in, uh, in fall ball the year before and last year, people that have seen him are getting excited about him and think that there is, you know, legitimate star potential here. So there's a long way to go before that becomes a reality, but you can get excited about it. And I think you can also get excited about Garrett Mitchell. What we've seen from him this spring, we've talked about it on the pod, so I'm not going to belabor it, but there seems to be some star upside there too. So there are guys to be getting excited about in the minor league system, even if it's still ranked towards the bottom. Yeah, that ranking will improve. I, I'm sure even by yep. like the midseason updates, just it based will. on those two, right? Like those two alone will kind of buoy everything. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Hedbert, we're, I, I just love the name. I'm a sucker for a good name. <laughs> but uh, I mean, obviously there, there's some superstar potential there. And you're talking like a guy who could, I mean, he's clearly going to be like a top 100 prospect by the end of the year if he's not already. And he's he's probably going to end up, possibly being you know one of the most highly touted brewers prospects in like almost a generation (laughs) it's rare that you here's the thing like um if if you are not huge into scouting um prospects in like i'm not um when you're looking at like sort of the normal average prospect who may grow into an average major leaguer at some point in time, there's a lot of nuance that goes into that, that, I mean, I'm not good at that, that guys who actually go to scout school and are scouts and study this and live it every day are good at picking up on and, and like little technique things and projecting what people will grow into. You don't need any of that for Hedbert. Um, like not that he's going to be a, a guaranteed future star, but you can see how advanced he is just watching him in spring training with all the other guys who are professional players at this time. 
that doesn't guarantee you success in the future, but it's easy to see for even novices why he's so well liked because he looks like a player, you know, three or four years older than he is. Especially, I agree on the on the on the hitting, on the bat control. He he looks like an advanced hitter already. Um, and you know, sometimes guys stall out, but that's the floor you're building with for the next several years in the minors, and that's a good floor to have. That's a star floor. So you want a confession about that uh, that play? in the outfield the other day. I didn't realize it was Hedbert when it happened because I had the game muted. I was working out, so it was on my iPad and it was a decent distance away from me. So I couldn't tell who the player was. And I would have never guessed it was Hedbert just looking at him because he looked like a full grown man. Yeah, like, right. That, that looked like... Yeah, yeah he, he's he a grown ass like man. a guy in his early 20s. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing with him. Like if, if you guys, if, if, if anybody listening ever goes to like a single A game, it's incredible how different the players at single A look compared to major league players. Uh, I haven't been in a while. Last last time I did it, um, the guys who would become future major leaguers in the game were actually Dan Vogelbach, uh, then in, in the Cubs system, and Tyrone Taylor. Um, and um, those two, even though you know Tyrone's, he was the best prospect in the Brewer system at, at the time for a very bad system, and Vogelbach was, you know, whatever. But those guys were giants compared to everybody else who was playing single A at the time. And, and Hedbert at 17 already looks like like a, a fully realized professional guy. It's nuts. It's crazy that that he is as far along as he is at this point. Yeah, definitely a lot to get excited about. And, and we'll just have to see how the actual games play out this year. But I mean, just everything you see is is just glowing reviews. So uh, up, upside is clearly very, very high. All right. Our last Twitter question before we get to our general MLB predictions comes from Jay. Uh, he says non-hitter related stuff. We got to get some of that in. And Paul, you're very passionate about this question, so I'm just gonna <laughs> I'm gonna ask it. I'm all gonna right. get up and walk away for about ten minutes and let you rant. All right, sounds good. So, all right, Jay's question is: How ridiculous is the home run horn? <laughs> and what are your thoughts on Bernie's new chalet after the sausages kidnapped him? Which I have to say, very disturbing set of videos there. But yeah, uh, okay, Paul, go. Okay, so two part question here, and uh, we gotta we gotta take them individually. So let's let's deal with the horn first. Um, first of all, uh, and uh, James, I know that you're walking off. So before you do, the horn. Let's start with the horn, just um, on a on, on the level it hits you with immediately. It sounds like a basketball horn. It yeah, sounds like the, like the <laughs> halftime horn, right? Like it, it doesn't make any sense in the context, right? So and there's no reason to the best. Nobody like. It's not like a well-loved part of basketball. It's just a thing that happens <laughs> to be there for some weird reason. Uh, it's not. It's not worth stealing. Like there are beloved treasures of sports that you could steal and rip off, like the sausage race. Now everybody rips that off. That's that's totally a fine thing to do. Um, but this is just a weird pickup. So and the other here's the other thing with horns. Like you got to be careful here because, uh, like I I do the football podcast. But like one of the most hated things in sports is the stupid Viking horn. Oh, yeah. uh, and you got to be careful stealing horns because uh, even uh, so Minnesotans will tell you they like it, but it's not true because it's it's an annoying <laughs> thing that they're lying like like all like Minnesotans always do about these kinds of things. They'll passively aggressively praise it and say things like, oh, it really gets under the skin of opposing fans. And oh, it really gets under the skin. <laughs> the, the fact of the matter is it gets under the skin of everybody. And that's what that sentence means coming out of the mouth of someone from Minnesota. So don't don't steal horns. The Cowboys used to have a horn, too, that they played after picking up a first down that made kind of the Superman theme song. Also very annoying. So 
Um, don't use a horn or steal horns. It's bad, and they should get rid of it immediately. It's like being at a Bucks game. It's like being at a Vikings game. And it doesn't celebrate something at a Bucks game. It's, it, it's, it's like the noise you make to go to halftime or when a substitution happens. It's not a <laughs> celebratory horn. You could have a celebratory horn. That wouldn't be, I mean, it would be better. It would still be bad. And, and we'll, get into, we'll get into it in a second, things that are, are better than something that sucks and why they, that still sucks. But uh, um, it, it, it's just they, they should really change it up. It's bad. You could do so many better things for a home run. There's so many options for celebratory noises, and it just sounds like you're bringing in, um, like, Eric Middleton. Or Chris, uh, uh, I, I'm bad at basketball. Chris I shouldn't talk about yeah, it. Yeah, yes, yeah. I, I was going for Eric Bledsoe, and then I realized he wasn't on the team anymore right. in my head, and I had to flip off. Uh, anyway, um, so anyway, Horn sucks. But let's get to Bernie for a second because, um, <laughs> all right, so, so the chalet is back. Um, now, you guys are good fans, so you'll probably be able to answer this, but can you tell me what it was before? Like before this recent change? Yes. Wasn't before, it just Bernie's dugout or some, it something? It was a like shed. <laughs> it was Bernie's dugout. James got it right. So so let's start with that. So uh, first of all, it's stupid to have a dugout that's up in the air. <laughs> because a dugout is literally dug is out literally of the ground, right? dug out of the ground. It's a trench. It's dug out so the players are lower than the field level. And putting a dugout up in the air is just a box. Um, uh, Ryan, <laughs> Ryan, Ryan was wrong when he said it's just a shed, but he was also correct because that is what a dugout is when it's up in the sky. It's a shed. <laughs> so it was a shed. So now going back, it is good that the chalet is back um, because it was dumb that the chalet was ever gone. However, uh, the, the thing that people miss from the old stadium isn't the chalet nobody cared about it and i i would i would wager that if i asked 100 brewer fans if he uh, that didn't know about the new chalet change if he was in a chalet then most would say yes he was in a chalet currently at this moment and and um what people miss is him sliding into a big mug of beer um and i get why they don't do that anymore for a variety of reasons but that's what people miss so it's good the chalet is back because it's dumb that it was ever taken away like i I understand why you don't want the guy sliding into a mug of beer. The implications of sliding into a mug of beer, especially for a child's mascot, uh, are not great. <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's not great. Like, like, let's be honest. It, it, it's fun. It's very Milwaukee. But mascots aren't for 45-year-old guys. They're for 7-year-old kids. And you can't have your mascot sliding into a mug of beer because it is teaching your children that it's fun to get blasted. Um, and, you know, they'll get enough of that from their parents in Milwaukee. So we don't need that from the baseball team. Um, but that's the fun part that people miss. And anything else that you bring back is just kind of window dressing. It doesn't really matter that much. But that said, it was dumb that it was ever gotten rid of because while the mug of beer portrays the message that it's fun to get blasted to seven-year-old children, the chalet doesn't. Children don't know what chalets are. Um, in fact, most people associate chalets with skiing or being in the Alps. And those are fine things because that is sort of the German heritage of the traditional brewer that the team is trying to evoke. <laughs> so I was going to say, it was it's, a, it's a very Oktoberfest feel to this. Yes, uh, it was a huge oh, yeah. overreaction to get rid of the chalet in the first place. They, they went, they, they I think panicked, went, went full 180 on disassociating themselves from their mascot for children getting blasted every home run and got rid of everything associated with it, including the later hosen which uh, I suspect that you may see again soon. So um, the Shelley coming back is good. It is at least a realization that they went too far before 
And um, bringing back sort of the industrial brewing heritage as a reference to the team's name, given that Miller is no longer a part of the naming structure of the stadium, I think is a good idea. It's a half measure. Uh, I think we would all like it if they got if they brought back the mug. It, that's not going to happen for a lot of reasons. So anyway, it sucks that they flipped so far that they got rid of everything. It would be great if they brought back everything. As a half measure, though, this is fine. And I'm glad the chalet is back for all those reasons. Ryan? I have nothing to <laughs> add. <rebuttal. laughs> I, have, I have nothing to add. Uh, Paul, Paul, Paul covered it. it all. Yeah, we, we're good. Okay. I will say the, the, the jarring thing for me was that they painted the, the slide. It's not yellow. The, the slide is a new color. That's true. That's the slide weird. is white, so it, it's like a lot more subdued. But I feel like you, you kind of want that eye to be drawn there. So why do you change the color of the slide? I guess it didn't go with the chalet's theme. That is I, an interesting choice. I'm not sure why they painted the slide either. Um, uh, we'll have to see how it looks in action. Maybe Bernie will stick out more on it. Um, Could I, be. I don't, yeah, I, don't know. I don't care as long as it still makes that really loud ding noise when a ball hits it, like when Kessie <laughs> hits a ball off that thing. I, that's what I want because that the thud that it made was just like the the best. I absolutely love that. Yeah, I I have to say I do miss like the one year that it was sponsored by uh, the Kalahari Resort in the Dells, and like they actually like blew water up when he hit the bottom that was cool that was cool sitting below the slide probably didn't appreciate getting drenched like four times a game (laughs) well i mean i i assume it just kind of misted down on them at that point yeah it probably wasn't like the worst thing in the world especially on those warm days out in that outfield where you can get the sun on you in an afternoon and you'd be right indeed but to me like that's the closest we ever got to getting the mug of beer back right so eh, yeah i don't know I, I, I guess, yeah, time to bring back the chalet. But. And as non-Milwaukeeans, do you guys know where the, the original mug of beer is? No. Is the, well, the, wait a sec. The chalet is at Lakefront, right? The chalet and the mug are both at Lakefront. The mug's yes. there, too? Oh, okay. Yeah. I've actually slid, I actually slid down at, at Lakefront once when I wasn't supposed to. So um, that was, that was <laughs> yeah, fun. Yeah, they don't let people do that because of lawyers, Paul. I know. <laughs> it's true. You ruin it turns, everything. It turns out. It turns out people on brewery tours aren't great at using giant slides. Uh, <laughs> <No>. Or judgment. <laughs> yeah, or judgment. That, it's, Especially it's the, the lakefront one. It's which, definitely the lawyer's yeah. fault that that's not allowed anymore, for sure. Yeah. That's, uh, that's on us. Yeah. yeah, no, they said that. They said that their lawyers told them no. Not on yeah. the general concept of, of <laughs> drunk people going down a giant slide. It's our fault. For those listening who have not been on the lakefront tour, it is uh, very easy to... Uh, get blasted in Paul's words on that tour. Like <laughs> it it's a good time. But I, I can see why uh going down the slide is, is generally not advisable in those situations. Yeah. Miller's not a lot uh, about to let people do that on theirs either. Even though when I went they just cribbed a bunch of liney stuff and didn't give us any Miller products because it's Miller. Uh, <laughs> anyway, all right. So thanks for that rant, Paul. I think that was closer to like 10 than 20 well, minutes. Okay, so you, you kept it in check. Yeah, yeah, it's all good. All right, before we wrap up uh, for the week, because we, we've kept a lot of you here long enough already, let's run through our MLB predictions. So let's do, uh, you know, division winners, award winners, and your World Series pick. So let's let's just say, uh, let's start in the NL, and we may as well just start with the NL Central. So I guess uh, we'll go with Paul. Who's your division winner? How do you see the division playing out in the Central? So um, I feel like... We did do this. Maybe we didn't do this a little earlier, but I, I am still going to go with the Cardinals. Um, uh, 
in actually dealing with the Brewers every day, I feel like I've gotten maybe a little overly optimistic about them. And while I do think that they'll be good, um, I, I still just hate St. Louis lingering out there with what St. Louis can do. I do think their lineup's a little better than last year and the pitching's really good. So I'll take them by just a hair. But I do think Milwaukee will um, will contend for it, be, be close to the last day and be in the wild card hunt the whole time. And, and I, I may actually flop to them for a wild card when we get to it. So I'll, I'll, I'll go Cardinals with Brewer second. I think the Cubs are going to be worse than people think. So um, that's uh, having followed them pretty closely. I think that they're going to kind of kind of not be great. All right, Ryan, how about you? Yeah, I always don't pick the Brewers to win the division. And <laughs> you know what? That's stupid. And I think the Brewers are. I'm. I don't want to say like leaps and bounds, but I think they're actually clearly the best team in the division at this point did you guys see that st louis has fallen to fourth in pakota in the division i did i still i'm still on board though yeah yeah so i'm i'm gonna take milwaukee to win the division i do think that we're looking at the uh the cardinals probably in second the cubs will be not completely irrelevant but not that good i think that uh you're gonna see cincinnati really fall apart and in ways that people aren't necessarily anticipating at this moment and Pittsburgh is terrible. So they're last. Yeah. How is Pakota projecting the Cubs for 85 wins still? I, I guess I just don't see that. They're not uh, bad. They have, a, you can make that case on the lineup. Just, I don't like their pitching anymore. Yeah. That's the problem is like their rotation. They just got rid of you Darvish for no reason at all. And the bullpen's <laughs> still shaky. Uh, at the risk of of being a homer pick, but I'm with Ryan. I'd never pick the Brewers in these things. Like I, I've always been the guy like second or third place, and if they surprise us, cool. But I, I think just based on the makeup of the rosters and just the general faith in in how Craig Council can kind of navigate this still weird season, I'm gonna pick the Brewers to win the Central. Um, I don't know if I think like Pakota, like Pakota is still saying it's not really close. They've still got a three game gap between the Brewers and the Cubs. I don't know if it'll be that much, but with how I feel about the Cubs, the Cardinals are kind of just there. Although I do think they're kind of being underrated by Pakota a little bit. Uh, If they get any offense at all, I think the Cardinals will be a little bit better than expected, but I, I do still think just, Makeup wise, the Brewers are pretty clearly the the best built team in the division right now, yeah. and and they've got the depth to kind of withstand that jump to 162 games. So just based on that, I think I would roll with the Brewers there. Uh, let's head out east. Who do you have NL East, Ryan? Give me the Mets. I'm just going to keep doing this until I'm eventually right about it. I, <laughs> I think I picked the Mets like the last three years. They they legitimately went out and had a great offseason this year and added a bunch of players. And they've gotten rid of the uh, the stench of the Wilpons and seem to have actually decided to do what they had never done before, which was to build up real actual depth. Now, the thing here is I really should be picking the Braves because I always pass on picking the Braves and they always win the damn division, but give me the Mets. And then the Braves is a close second. I think that's going to be a really good fight between those two. Yep. Same for me. Mets. uh, I I also like the Mets to win it uh, with 
their their stinky old bad ownership gone. They have quickly swerved into being a competent organization with New York money and put together a really good team. And I think that they are now better than Atlanta, at least by a hair. So I like the same order as Brian, but I do like the Mets to win it. I think this might actually be one of, if not the best and deepest division in baseball. Because you guys mentioned the Mets and the Braves. I think that's an easy top two to make. Um, and just as, as as you mentioned the Braves, I realized I just totally forgot about them when I was uh, <laughs> writing all of this down. So I might have to flop one of my wild card picks. <laughs> but, uh, you know, yeah, I'm going to go Mets too. Just the addition of Lindor uh, really helps increase the the level of that offense the pitching is obviously phenomenal jake Degrom could win every scion until the year he decides to stop pitching i mean they're that good it it's hard to see a lot of uh issues with that team but then again they're the mets so they're gonna have probably crappy injury luck and some catastrophic thing will still happen we'll see but i i'm going mets but yeah braves are obviously still right there and really good i think the Nationals could fly under the radar. I really like a lot what the Nats did this offseason with, you know, adding Schwarber and and Josh Bell to really kind of ramp up that offense around Soto. They've still got Scherzer. <laughs> so, uh, and, you know, I, I've seen some love for the Phillies too, but I feel like that's like an annual thing. And then that yeah, no. bullpen just implodes. So, but I think, like, you know, and, and you saw the Marlins kind of make the surprising push to the playoffs last year, if you can call it the playoffs. Um, but, I just think like top to bottom, there's there's a lot of really good teams in that division. It'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out. Um, heading out to the West, kind of a different story. We kind of have two like clear favorites here and then the rest is just straight trash. So I guess, Ryan, are you going Dodgers in the West or do you think San Diego can can really push them? Yeah, Dodgers, are the best team in baseball. And I think it's by a reasonable margin over the Padres because they have depth that the Padres don't have. So sure. I think that really is what gives them the edge star power. You know, San Diego can go star for star with them, but when you get to the roster, ro- the roster depth portion of things. Yeah. Give me the Dodgers over the Padres. And like you said, everybody else is trash. <laughs> <laughs> Paul. Same thing. Dodgers are the best team in baseball. San Diego's done a nice job. Um, they, they put together a really great team, too. And I do think it'll be close. But the Dodgers are just a money-laden all-star team. And it's going to be hard for anybody to beat them. Right. Same. I've, I've got Dodgers, Padres, 1-2. I, I, I am a little bit worried about the Padres kind of falling off a little bit. Uh, just, I don't know why. It's maybe just like a gut feeling there. But also, you know, Tatis hasn't really been able to stay healthy over a full season quite yet and if they get hit with injuries sort of like ryan you were saying they don't have the depth the dodgers do to really uh overcome a lot of that so uh, i think that'll be the interesting question out west but yeah i I think those two are are gonna feast on colorado and arizona quite a bit and just kind of set themselves up apart from everybody else and san francisco is weird they're probably yeah, they're the weird. third best team in that division, even though Pakota disagrees with that. I think they're the third best team, but they're still very much in the middle place of they have a very old roster. Did you guys see they may be one of the first teams in a quite a while to start on a, a daily basis, uh, all 30 year olds and above? Wow. No, I didn't see that. Yeah. That's like enough. as long as Dubon isn't in the lineup for them, they're probably 30 and above at every position. Dang. 
It's very giancy. I feel like they've been doing that for a decade plus and just yeah. kind of middling around that 500 mark, right? Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I, you know, I could see the Giants just kind of muddling about and that'll get you in the wild card hunt for a lot, long time. And I'm sure they'll like refuse to get any younger just because of that. But yeah, that's that, that's a good call too. I, I always forget about the Giants. And I also uh, do want to throw a shout in there for the article from Ken Rosenthal and the beat writer from Colorado this week about oh, what yeah. an absolute shit show that organization is. And if anybody is tempted to be like, Marco Tadazio should sell the team, read up on the Monforts and how they run Colorado. Read this article from The Athletic because it is eye-openingly, mind-bogglingly bad, like how a team could be run this poorly. Yeah, just like from the top down, it's it's a mess. And Making their uh, analytics department work as clubbies was... Yes, yes, like, overtime. Holy hell. That like was the insane. Scene, the scene where like the pitching coach or whatever came up to the guy is like, hey, can I get a report on this pitcher? And the guy's like, eh, I'm, you know, washing guys' underwear right now. I'll get to that yep. later. Yeah. That's just insanity. What a disaster. Yeah. Man, makes like the 90s Wendy Seelig era seem halfway decent. All right. Uh, as, so we got our division winners. Who are our wild card picks here? I guess, Paul, let's start with you. So I will go Brewers. I, I've at least been convinced enough that they'll be good and close enough that they'll they'll be in the running there. Um, and I'll, I'll go Padres and with the Braves out, I guess. <laughs> um, I, I do think feasting on the bottom of the, the West is better than playing in the East. So I think they'll be able to, other than the Dodgers, uh, accumulate enough to get there. So. Uh, are we? I, I should add. I, I'm bad at this. Um, uh, is that? Are we back to normal on wild cards? Is mm-hmm. that? Yeah, we are. Yes. Okay, good. <laughs> so two wild cards. I mean, unless they change it like the day that the season opens, like they did last Thank year. Thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, give me the Braves and San Diego. I think that's pretty clearly. Yeah. I don't think we're going to see a, a central team get a wild card here. I think. No. There's too much firepower in the in the East and then two behemoths in the West that it's just going to be tough for anybody in the Central to win enough interdivision games. So win enough outside of the division for that to matter. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, retweet on your uh, wild card picks. I've also got the Padres and, and the Braves. I had Washington written down originally, but then I forgot the Braves were a thing and they're still good. <laughs> um, yeah. At least that offense. I'm still really kind of concerned about the Braves pitching and whether they have the depth to stand up there over a full year. But I mean, it, it's just when you have Acuna and Albies and, and everything that they built there, Freddie Freeman's apparently the NL MVP. I keep forgetting that too. So yep. uh, they're pretty well stacked. And I think they're they're probably probably uh better equipped as anyone to come out of that mess in the east and and like you said ryan like uh it, i just don't see a path forward for an nl central wild card it's just it's got to be division or nothing which i think a lot of us kind of anticipated for the uh, record i think that the, yeah. a lot of the rest of the nl central is going to kind of suck so i uh more, more than expected i don't i think the cubs might actually kind of blow up a little bit the pirates are just atrocious as we know and I, right. I don't actually think much of the Reds. So I think there's enough there to get another wild card through. Okay. Uh, let's just stick on the NL side for for award picks. So based on all of our picks, who do you have as uh, your projected NL MVP, Ryan? You know, it would have been Tatis. Give me Soto. I think this is the year for him. And Washington should be good enough that he 
won't lose credit because his teammates suck terribly. So, okay. <laughs> give me Soto. Paul, how about you? I'll go with Mookie. Ah. Yeah. Best, best player, best team. I, I weighed Soto a little bit too, but I think, yeah, Mookie first full season in LA too. I just all, you know, he, he's getting all the press in the off season, major media market. The Dodgers are going to run away with it. If he has a, a Mookie type season, I think that's, he gets his, he gets the, the MVP again. Um, I guess Cy Young, are, are we sticking Dodgers here? Cause my pick would be Walker Bueller, but I don't know. How about you, Paul? Um, uh, Degrom for me, actually. That's a safe money bet. <laughs> yeah, Degrom until he's not. Like you, you just kind of have to do that. I mean, the man is now throwing 102. So, like, what right. the hell? <laughs> I was gonna go that route. That's obviously smart money. I'm I'm thinking more like a you know Shaq or LeBron theory where they just get tired of giving him the damn award every year, so they kind of sprinkle in somebody else. So I was trying to think secondary options there. That seems to be uh, more of a like, thing with MVP than it does yeah. with Sensei, yeah, with Cy Young. And it, it really depends on who the, the voting group is for all of these two, right? Like if it's an analyt, analytically bent group, like they're obviously going to look at the, the numbers and DeGrom's probably going to blow everybody away. Yeah, because I mean, if you look at like the AL and NL Cy Youngs of the late uh, aughts, or sorry, of the aughts in the, the late 90s, it was Randy Johnson and Roger Clemens. Like every, I think they both have like seven right. Cy Youngs, don't they? Right. Yeah. You can mm-hmm. you so. can rack up Cy Youngs in a way that you can't rack up MVPs, just because the writers hate to do that because they're weird. That's true. <laughs> that's true. All right, and this is always the award that's kind of trickier to to predict because you don't know how you know service time manipulation is going to go and all that. But Rookie of the Year, I guess. Ryan, who's your pick? Ugh. Uh, <laughs> I don't I don't want to. Uh, it's probably Dylan Carlson from the Cardinals. You. Okay. Yeah. Gross, but true. Yeah. Like yeah. he's going to get a lot of time right away and yeah. Ugh. Gross. <laughs> Just disgusting. Gross. Paul, do you have I, a pick I, here? No, I don't I mean I only know like five rookies names most of the time. So That's the uh, problem. Yeah. I I will also go with Dylan Carlson because I know him. So, <laughs> sure. They'll they'll be better than the Pirates, I, at least. And you know, I wrote down Cabrian Hayes because he actually came up for a bit last year and and really dominated. Uh, so, it, but the the issues the the Pirates are going to be really bad. Although so I do think I think Rookie of the Year you can win on a bad team sometimes. Yeah, you stand out so much. Yes, Rookie yeah. of the Year you can win on a bad team. Yeah, absolutely. But he's not a bad like guess. Press level. Yeah, it, yeah. Like he was he was great last year. He's he's highly hyped. Uh, they're going to give him every chance to to kind of carry that. And, you know, if, if he really stands out on a really bad team, I think that helps your case, too. Right. So yeah. uh, I like him. Give me the him. I, I, I'd be fine with that over Dylan Carlson. If Dylan Carlson wins. I quit. So, yeah. All right. Uh, American League. AL East, typically one of the tougher divisions, probably not so much <laughs> these days, but uh, I guess, Paul, AL East, who's your pick here? So I, I, I'm going to go Yankees. I know that the Rays kicked the crap out of everybody last year and are a very well-run team, but I, I think that the money and the bullpen and, and the general goodness gets gets New York over the top over there this year, too. So I'll go with them. 
Yeah, I got to take the Yankees here. I mean, Picota has them by 13 and a half games. Mm-hmm. Like, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it, that that really, uh, I guess, I didn't realize just how far ahead Picota had them. Like, they're projecting them as a 100-win team. Yep. Which, whenever Picota hits the 100 mark, you know it's, it's a really stacked team. So, uh, yeah, I went Yankees. I know I... I really want to go like Toronto or something, but I'm not sure they have it. And in Tampa may have taken a step back doing, you know, their whole Tampa thing of 12 different trades to get half a win worse. And then still somehow being right where they are, but I'll go Yankees there as well. Uh, AL central Ryan, do you have the twins or do you think somebody else here is going to step up? I'd like to pick the white Sox. <laughs> I, I honestly would, but between Eloy being out and Tony Larusa being there, and yeah, like, yep. that's not good. <laughs> I yeah, I think I have to pick. I think I have to pick Minnesota here again. There's a big gap on Dakota. Yep, there's big gaps in every division. So, yeah, give me, give me Minnesota. The Paul, I, like yeah, I, I'm uh, same thing. I, I have to go with Minnesota. I, the White Sox, like they do this to themselves a lot, where they they actually put forth some effort and put together a pretty good team, and then they do something stupid to undermine it, and they did. So I'm not making that mistake again. And uh, I like Cleveland, okay too, but not quite enough. So I'll go with Minnesota. Yeah, I I'm iffy on the White Sox too. I don't know how this whole Tony La Russa thing's going <laughs> to come apart. And, and like Ryan said, Eloy is hurt, hurt to start the year. So uh, I, I'm still going to go twins just because I ever don't have a reason not to. I think you could see Cleveland make a run, but it's, you know, they've still got Bieber. They've still got Jose Ramirez, at least for the time being. But the White Sox uh, should change from the exploding scoreboard into having Tony La Russa slide into a big mug of beer. <laughs> wine, <laughs> a big glass of oh, wine. Oh, God. <laughs> All right, so Twins across the board, out West. God, this division sucks. Uh, <laughs> Astros, I don't want to, Paul. I don't want to. Uh, I don't. I don't pay any attention to this division. The only team I watch occasionally is Seattle because they're funny and up late. And um, I don't care. Uh, I'll go with the A's because they always seem to make it happen, even though they got worse in the offseason. Yeah, I'm not picking Houston because they're dirty, yeah. dirty cheaters still, um, even though they're probably the best team. Um, Everybody else sucks, so I'll go with Oakland because they always seem to be able to do something. Give me the Angels because oh, I, yeah? just don't, right. I just don't want anybody else to win. <laughs> and I want Mike Trout. This is the emotional pick. This yeah, is the emotional like pick screw it. Mike Trout in the playoffs, and they did get better this offseason. I think they, they're fixing some of the issues that they have. And they do have some very good young players. Joe Adele, I think, is going to be up. And well, there's a little preview of my AL. Ah. Well, actually, it's not. But I think Joe Adele is <laughs> going to be pretty good. And sooner than maybe than people realize. So, yeah, it, at some point, like they have to have been able to put like a 500 team around Mike Trout. And then he gets to carry them to, you know, 92 wins or whatever. So. Come on, it, it's got to happen eventually. <laughs> Keep picking it until it happens. Uh, yes, yeah. yeah. In the meantime, I've still got the Astros. Uh, um, but I will say, and maybe this is just because like the three Brewer Spring training games I've watched, two of them have been against the Angels, and they've hit the piss out of the ball against the Brewers every single time. I think that lineup could be pretty good. You know, if if Justin Upton is, yeah. is healthy, good. Uh, if Shohei can stay healthy all year and is an asset 
on the mound as well as hitting. I think that's a big boost for them too. And, you know, maybe makes them a dark horse MVP candidate if they make the playoffs. But I just, Houston's just too well built to, and really the rest of that division is garbage. So uh, speaking of crappy front offices and and the Mariners stuff, all that too. So Mm. yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Uh, So yeah, I've got the, I've got the Astros, but I will give a wild card nod to the angels. Um, I keep going back and forth between like, so Tampa's the other pick uh, for me for AL wildcard. So I've got Tampa and yeah. the Angels. And I kept going back and forth between the Angels and Toronto. But that's probably just a uh, an emotional pick because I want to see that team do well too. So, mm-hmm. uh, Paul, who are your AL wildcards? Uh, I'm going to go Tampa and Toronto. Uh, I, I just – I don't even know if that's mathematically a good idea. I don't really care. I don't – Yeah. I, I do like the Angels. I just don't think they're good enough. So um, I'll, I'll, I'll run with the East and their, their juggernauts. Yeah, I'm going to go with, I need to make sure Tampa's in there. Yeah, I need to make sure Tampa's in there. And I think the White Sox. Your funeral, man. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm picking picking the uh, Astros to completely miss the playoffs, which is probably wish casting. But, you know, (laughs) I'm on the right side of history here, boys. Yep. Yeah, no, I mean, I I wouldn't be opposed to three ALEs teams in the – in the playoffs too. I mean, just looking at the bottom of the central and the West, they're just so bad. I yep. don't see anybody else coming out of those divisions, but you could make a case for three AL East teams. Easy. Um, speaking of bad, I had a hard time kind of picking an AL MVP out of this group, just because I'm like, who could realistically win it based on these teams? So I, I, uh, I'm just going to go Aaron judge. Cause I feel like that's the high ceiling, but dude can't stay healthy. He's a giant human who gets hurt all the time. So that's probably not going to work out, but uh, Paul, I guess who's your AL MVP pick truck till he dies. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm picking them to win the division. So I sure as shit better be picking Mike Trout. To win the <laughs> MVP, so yeah. Give me trout. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the easy one too. And you know, if they do make the playoffs, maybe they finally, kind of give him the, the the recognition he's due uh Cy Young who do you got Ryan uh I don't <laughs> I don't I mean I, let's go Garrett Cole it's very chalky but yeah. yeah I also like Garrett Cole let's just move past it it yeah it's a clean sweep Garrett Cole okay okay uh rookie of the year this one uh always tough too give me Andrew Vaughn Andrew Vaughn, okay. He's going to be up to start the season, so he's going to get the the volume. He's going to be in there every day. They maybe try to force him out to left field, which is insane and stupid. But, uh, yeah, hopefully that doesn't happen. All right. I don't know know anything about AL prospects at all, but the the (laughs) Orioles have an outfielder named Ryan Mountcastle. (laughs) <laughs> and he he's high he's high enough on the list that he might win it, and that name is phenomenal. So I'm going. Does with he him. still have rookie eligibility? I I don't know. I just Google. Yeah, yeah. He was <laughs> really good <laughs> last year. So so I think Paul and I are using the same uh, microchill methodology. Cheat sheet. Yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> I in the NL, at least I know some rookies who are coming up, but in the, I have no idea yeah. about any AL prospects at all. So I will Mount, say Mount uh, Castle's yeah. phenomenal. That's a great name. I love it. That's a great name. He still has eligibility. I will say uh, Randy Orozarena also still has eligibility. I think I'd, I'd probably go with him. Just he, He's got a, a consciousness leap on the rest of the field right now just because of what he did in the playoffs last year. 
if the Rays are still good, he's probably going to be one of their better hitters. So I would, I would pick him. So you vote a Rosarina. You've got a crystal yeah. ball. I do. Yeah. Yep. All right. <laughs> um, all of our, all of those picks. Let's the ultimate pick, the preseason World Series pick, which is bound to be wrong. Paul, what do you got? <laughs> uh, I mean, the Dodgers. I'll I'll take the. I think they're the best team in baseball. It's hard to vote against them on, for any success metric, and um, I, I'll I'll go with them. They're they're just juggernauts. They're great. Dodgers over who? Oh, do we have to go both over Yankees? Yeah. Boring yeah. as shit. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Ryan. <laughs> Dodgers over Yankees. <laughs> uh, Dodgers over Yankees. I I feel like I've picked that one like every year since the dawn of time. And well, it's not a enough, bad one to go gonna, with. Soon enough, they're both going to get there and get in. Um, yeah. So why not this year? Yeah. Boring. We're not going to be happy about it. Actually, I'm trying to decide would I want the Yankees to win over the Dodgers at this point? Am I that sick of the Dodgers yet? <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, Trevor Bauer is on the Dodgers. Oh, son of a bitch. Go Yankees. <laughs> we almost got through this damn thing without mentioning. Yeah, well, Aroldis anyway. Chapman's on the Yankees, so, like... God damn it. Okay. <laughs> so, there are no good people in sports. Just yeah. Nope, everyone's um, bad. Right. So, I guess I, I even struggle to kind of pick a secondary World Series to cheer for. I mean, obviously, <laughs> Brewers over somebody, but that's not going to happen. I mean, I, I'd like to see the Padres if they get past the Dodgers in the playoffs. That'd be fun to see. Uh, I'd like to see the Minnesota Twins win a playoff series. That'd be history. I'd like to see them win a damn game. They haven't yeah. won a playoff game yeah. in decades, yep, even though right. they're in many, many times. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it, it's just kind of it, it's very clearly, you know, even Pakota sees these two as the top two teams. It's It's hard to see. I mean that, and they've both amassed so much depth too, where yeah. any injury issues probably wouldn't be much of an issue either. So, uh, boring year. <laughs> Yankees, Dodgers dominate everything, I mean, of course. Just to talk about Pakota here, they have yeah. Pakota has the Yankees at a hundred point one wins, and mm-hmm. the next closest team in the AL is Houston at ninety two point four. Yeah. So yep. they have them as eight wins better. With the Dodgers, it's 103.5, which is just insane. That's it's nuts. Insane, kind of number, yeah. But then the next closest team is San Diego at 95.1, yeah. so over eight wins. So they have them as both teams as being eight wins clear of the next best team in the league. It's yeah. super top heavy. But it's also yeah. baseball, and crazy shit happens all the time. Cause, Indeed. Yeah. Right. I mean, when I was watch. doing this, too, I... <laughs> the realization that I had is like the AL is low key kind of trash. Yep. <laughs> like It's been low key trash for a while now. This is not a new yeah. phenomenon. Like they are yeah. top heavy. They have some great teams at the top and then they have a bunch of teams in rebuilds or in just crazy bad management. Like most of those teams are actually just in rebuilds at this point. Yeah. So it, the NL is going to beat up on each other, but I, the NL stuff was a lot harder for me to pick, but we'll, we'll see how that goes out. So those are our picks. Uh, in the meantime, we do have our new patrons to shout out before we close out for the day. So we do have another one to shout out. Ryan, who do we have? Alex Foles. Welcome to the uh, the fold here. We appreciate the support. Welcome to the fold, Alex Foles. Thank you. Uh, and like I mentioned at the top of the show, it's patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. 
couple different levels there that you can sign up for. $2 level will get you question priority on the show. $5 level gets you that question priority and uh, all the extra content that we put out there through Patreon on uh, the, the entire network here. So you get the minor league extra, you get the reporting as eligible stuff, all of that for five bucks a month. That's patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. Uh, we've been rambling for a while now, so that's all we're going to wrap things up. Uh, don't for, forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, overcast, pocket Casts, anywhere else you listen to your podcast, hit that subscribe button. And while you're there, please do leave us a review to help other people find us. In the meantime, we're, we're all excited for opening day later this week. We'll have plenty to talk about with the first couple of series this season, so be sure to tune in then. Until then, stay well, everyone, and thanks for listening to The Walkies Tailgate. Stay healthy in Texas, please.